Hey guys, this is Jeff Stanick with Figured Out Baseball. We've got a great Figured Out Baseball podcast for you today. We're being joined by a name that if you pay any attention to Major League Baseball, you know who he is. We're being joined by Cedric Mullins, an all-star center fielder for the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, really pleased to have Cedric on the podcast today. Um, he's someone that I've known for quite a while, which hopefully we'll get into in the podcast. But I'll give you a quick background on Cedric before we jump into questions and and have a bit of a conversation with him. He's originally from Snellville, Georgia. He played collegiately at Lewisburg College, a junior college in North Carolina. He was there in 2013 and 14. Uh, had a good two-year career there. Then went on to play at Campbell University, a Division One school in North Carolina. He was there for one year. As a junior, he was drafted by the Baltimore Orioles in the 13th round. Uh, again, that was in 2015. Spent only a couple years in the big league, or I'm sorry, in the minor leagues. Then in August, on August 10th, 2018, he got his first call up to the major leagues. Uh, had some ups and downs in between, but 2021 was an unbelievable year for him. He became the first player in Baltimore Orioles history to have a 30-30 season, which is why you hopefully know who he is. He was an all-star, uh, recently named a silver slugger for 2021 in the outfield. Uh, Cedric, I certainly appreciate you coming on the podcast with me today. That's no problem, Jeff. I thank you for having me. So typically I'll start with something from the bio that stands out for guys. Um, but for you, I think we need, to deep, we need to dive a little bit deeper than the bio and go into – I'd like to kind of start with where you were entering the 2021 season. Um, without going into a lot of detail, there, there were definitely some ups and downs. Um, for you in 2018, you, you had a, a really good stretch in AA and then a, a, a good, if not great, stretch in AAA. Then you got up to the big leagues and, and were, had a really respectable 45-game stretch there for the big leagues at 23 years old. Then in 2019, you broke camp as the starting center fielder and leadoff hitter, and it, and it certainly did not go as you had planned. Then 2020, you you out of the 60 games the Orioles played, you played 48 games in the big leagues and had a had a good year again. Um, but I think there are probably a lot of question marks, maybe not for you personally, but for um, you know for for what the media was saying or or what the team was expecting coming into 2021. But I'd like to get into your head a little bit and and uh, start you know with the 2020 off season going into 2020 spring training. And kind of see where you where you were, things that you were thinking, things that you were kind of expecting from yourself going into the twenty twenty one season. Yeah, so uh, coming off of the twenty twenty season, you know, I was happy that we even got those sixty games in. I know it was just a crazy time for everybody, and you know, it was it was opportunity that I definitely wanted to have uh, for that season that was uh, uh, provided and. You know, I was able to kind of hold my ground during that small stretch and kind of build off of that. And then once I went to the offseason, the goal for me at that point was to find a way to become a starter. And, you know, if you look at all the media that kind of led up to that point and looking at the numbers as well, the biggest hindrance that majority of people would point out was my switching. And... You know, it was also something that I had thought of not doing um, going into the 2019 season as well. I, I brought it up to you know, the uh, front office manager, GM, and so we had discussions about it. And then go 
decided to go ahead and pursue just being a left-handed hitter. Look, like looking back at my numbers, um, I was always right around a 300 hitter batting from the left side, like from the minor leagues up. It was just something that was just so it stood out so much that I felt like the change was necessary to take my game to the next level. And so the work that I put in during that offseason was solely dedicated to how do I hit left on left pitching, something I haven't done in roughly 10 years. So it was, uh, it was definitely interesting, but I was fully committed to it, which means there was nothing holding me back from doing it. And the confidence that was built from that, you know, definitely led to the season itself. I know, you know, you it, it must have been a lot different. I'm sure that you you did a lot of things in the off season. I'm I'm assuming that you found a way to hit some velocity left on left, whether it was machine or whether you had guys thrown to you. Um, did you have any idea going into the season that you would have the kind of success? Did you think you were set up to have the kind of left on left success that you had? Because obviously, it surprised a lot of other people. You know, people probably outside of of your coaching staff. Um, you know, what, what did you expect from yourself left on left in this 2021 season? Uh, honestly, I truly expected for there to be a learning curve involved, which even with the success I had, there still was. Um, but the, I, I think just the stuff that I did in the offseason, like you said, I wasn't, I was able to face a few guys, a few guys was going to be low, but it wasn't that many at bats. I was mostly doing machine. And at that point, it was just my mindset of me knowing the worst thing that could happen is that I do the exact same thing from my right side. Like I, that, that was kind of my mindset. And then I was like, but at the same time, this is my better swing. So there's more room for error in that sense. So I, I truly was saying to myself, it can't, it can't be any worse. And, and with that kind of, you know, let it, let it be what it, what it is mindset. It kind of, uh, freed me up a little bit as a hitter and you know the outcome of it was amazing no complaints on my end it's just a matter of continuing to get better so i'm going to go all the way back to fall 2011 spring 2012 which is when i first met cedric um I'm not going to say that I discovered you or anything, but but I certainly uh, I got a chance to scout Cedric when he was in high school, um, and and I had the the opportunity to sign Cedric to Lewisburg. I was the the coach that had seen him play and signed with Lewisburg, even though I didn't get a chance to coach him. I left Lewisburg the year that that Cedric went there, but I, I wish I could I wish I could find my scouting report from you in high school because. And your high school situation is really unique and interesting, and I'd love for you to talk about that in a minute as well. But what I remember about you was thinking how raw your right-handed swing looked, and and you looked a lot more polished left-handed, but I certainly thought you had a chance uh, to switch hit. And, and if you're going to be a switch hitter, you know, obviously you want your stronger side to be the left side because you're that's where most of your bats are going to come. Um, but it, it, I'd like to ask you, about the switch hitting part, and maybe if you have any suggestions for a, a younger player out there who wants to switch hit or maybe just started switch hitting, if you could go back, would you do anything different? Would you start switch hitting at an earlier age? Would you uh, take more reps that way? Or would you, if you could go back and tell yourself as a young player, 
hey man, just stay, just stay as a left-handed hitter only. Uh, I'm curious to know if you had a chance to go back and talk to your younger self, if there's anything that you would change about the switch hitting that you did. Uh, yeah, I think, um, starting at an earlier age is probably more important because you allow yourself to get those reps as you, you know, progress in your you know, young career. Um, but at the same time, for me, if I were to go back to my younger self at when I did start, you know, I, I tell myself to continue to pursue it. You know, it was, uh, you just got to, the work that I put in, I, I tell myself to put in four times as much. And if I, if I truly wanted to you know, have success on both sides because there were flashes. There were flashes of you know, me being able to have that consistent success. It just didn't stick, and it never stuck long enough to put together a full season from the right side. So in terms of advice, you know, I definitely continue to tell myself to pursue it, and that would be it. I wouldn't tell my future self, you know, there might be a day where you no longer do it because then that kind of takes away from the effort portion. Uh, so that'd probably be about it. My, uh, my, I have a little boy and I talk about him sometimes on the podcast, but he's, <clears throat> he'll be five in February, but like he, uh, I know this is strange to talk about, but he kind of naturally switch hits. Not that he's <laughs> particularly good from either side, but, um, he just, he likes us to, to hit from both sides of the plate. And, you know, I, I often wonder if I should, part of me wonders if I should discourage it because he's a natural, uh, he does everything else right-handed. But I actually think his left hand swing is a little bit better. But I, part of me wonders if, if because he's a he's a naturally dominant uh, his dominant side is his right side. Like if I should just let him hit right only. But uh, I don't know. It's something that uh, obviously we'll have to play out. But I, I thought it'd be an interesting question to ask you. Going back to those high school days, though, Cedric, you have a very interesting story. I saw somebody post this past year on Twitter. Um, you know, kind of as one of those like underdog stories that Cedric Mullins was a bench player in high school until his senior year. And, and I felt like I had to chime in on that and, and give a little more clarity to that. But that's when you and I first met was the, with the fall of your senior year, you were playing at a tournament um, in, uh, in Cary, North Carolina at team USA complex. Your high school came from a really, really good high school. And, uh, and you guys were playing there the first time that I saw you. And I, and if I'm not mistaken, you had reached out to me before that. And that was the only reason that I, I came to see you, um, but can you tell people, I, I, maybe you've done this before in other interviews and stuff, but uh, I'd love for you to tell people the, you know, what, what your real situation was as you explained it to me you know, way back when, um, your situation in high school and why it took so long for you uh, to get a real shot in, even in high school to play. Yeah, so uh, you know, the, 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 the me not starting until senior year is kind of – skewed in a sense that people don't think I started at all on any team up until my senior year. I was a starter for uh, as a freshman. I was a starter on the JV team as a sophomore. Going into my junior year, first making the varsity team is when I wasn't. You know, we had a lot of guys on the team, a lot of talent on the team as well. And, you know, uh, at the time, the head coach felt that I, it was better for me to know be more of a come off the bench guy and uh you know even even with that being my role at the time you know, I took it as serious as I could continue to work hard continue to kind of kind of battle for those opportunities and uh and going into once once all those seniors left it's mostly seniors when I was a junior so once all those seniors left that's when the opportunity for me to be a starter on the varsity team 
finally presented itself. And uh, like you said, I reached out to you. I reached out to a ton of schools. So I, at that time, you know, your junior year as a high school student, baseball player is kind of the core of you being looked at. It's, it's very crucial you know, to for you to be uh, playing as a junior. So teams can come out and see you earlier compared to here senior year, which makes it a little bit tougher. Guys are already signing their junior year to schools and the rosters get locked up pretty quickly. So that's kind of what it was. And at the time, I, everyone wanted to be the you know, huge D1 prospect coming to the high school, going to the, the ACC or the SEC schools. But I kind of um, adjusted the expectations and you know, looked at a junior college, and my main goal at the end of the day was to get drafted and to be eligible every year starting at a junior college made the most sense to me. And that's, uh, you know, it may be different where you grew up, you know, in, in Georgia and surrounding states. There's a lot of really good junior college baseball there and other parts of the country, not so much. Where I'm at in Pennsylvania, uh, the junior colleges – Generally speaking, there there are some that are really good, but there there are a lot of them that, that aren't, and a lot of you know non scholarship junior colleges that don't pull in a, an incredible amount of talent. But um, you know, and also in your situation, you you know not being really on anybody's radar until your senior year. You know, I remember seeing you and thinking, this guy's really good. I must be missing something. <laughs> Why would he not have started last year? But you had some pretty good players in front of you in the in that outfield as well, right? At your high school? Yes. Yes, we had we had a couple guys go to D two schools. One guy had gotten drafted uh, by the Cubs organization, and that's what I was sitting behind at the time. And especially in center field, the guy who got drafted uh, to the Cubs was playing center, and. That's who I was behind, so it's you know, just a matter of waiting for my opportunity at that point. And that happens a lot, and I still don't, you know, I don't think that that's yours is the only story like that, and which is why I've always thought that junior college can be such a great option for players, and it's often overlooked as a uh, as an option, and for guys that might be stuck behind some other people and not really get a chance to show what they can do until you know, junior or even senior year, I think junior college is such a great option for guys. And the, the reason that you said you wanted to go is to keep your draft eligibility open, um, which is for anybody that, that might have a chance to play. You know, I, I was thinking, you know, why why wouldn't you? I think back to Carlos Rodon. Um, at the time, you know, he went to NC State, and as a freshman, like he was, you know, all-world as a freshman at NC State. And there was some conversation that he might go to junior college because had he been eligible for the draft as a freshman, he would have been a first-rounder. And, uh, you know, if your goal is to play pro ball and you have a chance to be a first-rounder, you know, you probably would want to go as early as you can. Some people want to get the education and some people want to go to college for three years for that experience to feel like they're ready. But other guys, you know, feel like they want to jump into pro ball right away. So I've always felt that way that guys that have a chance – you know, to be professional players, and that's their goal. Junior college is a, a really great option. When did you? When did you legitimately? Now, obviously, you've always thought that you had a chance to play pro ball because you just you just told us why you went to junior college. When did you legitimately think that you had a chance to be drafted? When was the first time that like scouts talked to you and you thought, man, I, this could this could legitimately be a possibility for me? Yeah. So there was um, there was very very slight interest after my freshman college 
you know, a few questionnaires, uh, filled them out, sent them back in, and that was really about it. And then after my sophomore year is when a lot more attention started coming around. Uh, of course, they were, I was still filling out the questionnaires, but then at that point there were some scouts that were coming out just to see what was going on in general with certain guys on the team, myself included, um, and just being out there to, to watch. And it was – after my sophomore year that there were real conversations that were being had and some, some were interested in getting me, you know, that year, um, you know, at that point it was just the business aspect of uh, trying to figure out my worth. And, you know, there, there weren't any agreements on that end. So I was perfectly comfortable with going back to school, especially at a D one show a little more competitiveness, um, you know, compared to junior college because uh, the competition was in and out. You could, you'd face, you know, a really good team, then you'd face a team that was from, you know, way up north somewhere that hadn't hadn't even been outside in who knows how long. So that's just kind of how the mix was. The moment we that I went to Campbell was when it was way more consistent, and I was able to show, you know, what I had on a day to day basis, and more scouts were coming out and. That's that's when the the true talks of you know what what round are we going to take him in were, were being had and you know that eventually led to me uh, getting drafted. But my first true sense of this is a real possibility, I'd say, would be right after my sophomore year. I want to jump ahead a little bit, Cedric, to when you when you you got into the big leagues in 2018 had a pretty good stretch at the end of the year and then 2019 broke camp. And, and if there's something that you don't love to talk about or, or whatever, you can all, you can certainly uh, deflect this question. But, um, but in 2019, you, you started out very, very slowly for the team uh, for the, for the Orioles six for 64 got sent down to triple a didn't hit a whole lot there, got sent all the way back down to double a, but then you bounce back the next year, and with no minor leagues, you were at the alternate training site. Um, you know, I, I believe you got that there was a couple times you went up and down with the, with the Orioles, but ended up spending 48 games with the Orioles and hit 271 overall, 723 OPS. And then obviously, you did what you did in 2021. At, at any point, did you did your confidence waver um, after that 2018 season? I'm sorry, the 2019 season. At any point, did, did you waver in your confidence, or is there something else going on there that, that kind of contributed to those numbers? I'm just, I'm kind of curious because, frankly, I don't think a lot of guys would have come back from that the way that you did. I don't think most guys would have come back, you know, as quickly and and had the success that you had so quickly after that 2019 season, bouncing back in 2020 with the big league club and, and putting together a pretty good year. And again, obviously, we did in 2021. Can you can you kind of talk about that twenty nineteen season and the off season and 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 what you were feeling like what you were thinking did you did you reach out to some people that kind of pointed you in the right direction or got your head in the right place just kind of curious what that time was like for you yeah so I guess coming off of the twenty eighteen season to start I had a really strong August and then you know the the then I ended up running into you know the most games I've ever played as a pro professional baseball player and you know, September was very tiring for me and I was contributing you know the fall off due to that and then going into the 2019 season you know had the had the confidence that um, I was going to play well to start off 
Um, my work ethic might have fell off a little bit after that season. Just, of course, you know, playing pretty well, getting called up. Everyone, you know, uh, wanted to talk and do this, that, and the third, family included. So it was it was a lot going on, and I, I, I think my focus kind of uh, wavered for sure uh, off of that. And then I, at the same time, I feel like the league adjusted to me. Like they, they you know, broke down my own swing, and they figured out how to pitch to me to be successful on a continuous basis, and I could not. I had a very solid amount of struggle making that same adjustment back. And so the, the goal was for me to go down to AAA, you know, get things figured out, build that confidence back up, and uh, work my way back up to the bigs. And it just continued. Like, guys were doing the same thing, and I couldn't make the adjustment. I was working my tail off every single day in the cage, you know, watching video, trying to figure out what's going on, and looking at my swing, just just – constantly trying to figure things out and then I started pushing people to the side I made no time for anybody I separated myself from family friends everybody like my relationships probably went down the drain with certain people I just cut off so quick and because I was I was just in a very bad mental state I was like this is I'm not used to having this much trouble playing this game you know everyone has uh, moments where you're just you know in a little bit of slump or a funk but you always work your way out, and I could not work my way out. And then to to be sent down to double A, you know, uh, just just felt like the the whole world was just crumbling down on top of me at that point. I, you know, I'd always found success in double A, so I you know kind of reflected after it happened. I said, okay, this is my opportunity to kind of take it back to square one. And at that point, I'd watched so many video, so there's so much video of myself that I said, okay, some mechanical adjustments need to be made. And that's when I started doing the leg kick. I used to be a no-stride guy, but they had um, really exploited that uh, with me on the field, and I was not having success at all with it. So I had introduced a small leg kick, and that was kind of like, because I had success at the end of the year in double A. But the adjustments that I needed to make in order to be consistent with the leg kick was when that started. So when the 2020 season came around, we were finally able to uh, put together a season. I was still making those adjustments. I started with the team and, you know, was, was having much better at bats, maybe not the success I wanted, but I felt like my bats were way more competitive in general. And when they had sent me down, um, I was able to get more consistent at bats to really get a feel for what I'm trying to do at the plate. And I think I was down there for maybe a week because uh, Austin A's ended up getting hit in the ribs that ended up fracturing one of them and took him out. So I got called up, but the confidence I had built based off of that really surged and I was able to you know, perform pretty solid for that year, even though it was short. And I felt like towards the end was when I was really heating up but it was the end of the year, you know, I, so I took what I did there and I was excited for the off season. I said, all right, now I know exactly what I'm trying to do. I feel like I've matured as a player, as a person. And on top of the fact that I know that I'm not going to be switch hitting going into the next year, you know, it, it's time to put together something special. And that's, that's, 
you know, exactly what I was able to do for 2021 and, you know, just looking forward to continue that. That's amazing. And I think that there are a lot of big leaguers that have that happen where the league adjusts and, uh, and, and there are a lot of guys that just never, never kind of recover from that or never have the success again that they had early on. And, um, you know, what you did this past year was, was pretty incredible. Uh, having you know a 30 30 season 37 doubles 175 hits uh and and, and playing 159 games um really really pretty incredible um i want to talk about your swing a little bit cedric and um there, there's there's a lot of a lot of noise on social media and uh and a lot of guys that uh at least for guys that i follow that just argue back and forth about this or that or what's important what's not important you know, this is this. There are guys that claim that every, you know, every super successful player does this or does that. Can I just kind of ask about your swing a little bit? I know we don't have any visuals or anything in this, but can you talk about some things that are really important to you and and the success in if for, you know for you to have success as an offensive player? Uh, what are some really some keys to maybe your swing uh, and or your approach that lead to you having consistent success? Yeah, so uh, after the 2019 season, I was actually sent out to uh, St. Louis where I worked with a guy named Rick Strickland. He had his own facility where he was the technologically savvy guru. Like, he had all this stuff. He had KVS, he had Rap Soto, he had Blast Motion, all the above when it comes to the analytics of a swing and the first thing that he pointed out to me was that I had a short swing that was really compact, but it was very linear in terms of approach. And that caused me to miss hit a lot of balls compared to create an angle, not coming under the ball. Cause I, I still want to be short direct to the ball, but just how my barrel would find its way to get on plane with the pitch itself was something that we had focused on. So I was still, I told him, I was like, I've, I've always liked doing one-handed drills because it helps me. Uh, so we, we were able to stick with that. And then at that point, it was just a matter of where my rotation and my body was coming into play. And with my swing being more linear, it was more of a in and out rotation instead of a through the pitcher type of rotation in my hips. And when I was able to, you know, clean that up a little more, I was finding, uh, I was, I was getting better numbers off of the analytics side, which, you know, of course build confidence because initially I, I was struggling to get the numbers I wanted off of it, whether I hit the ball well or not. And it kind of took its toll on me even then. And I was just coming off of a bad season, and now I can't even find success just in cage work. So, yeah, just just really taking my time, breaking down the numbers with his help, uh, really helped boost that confidence and help clean up my swing a little more. And just taking what he had taught me and continuing to be in contact with him, sending the video, uh, you know, working on the things we had worked on, and during during my free time and my uh, cage work back at home has definitely helped out and you know, I contribute a lot of uh, my success to that. Just give me a, a strong foundation to build off of. 
when you say your swing was linear before you went to him, again, I know we don't have a visual, but can you, can you talk me through what you mean by that for people that might not get a great visual picture of what a, what a linear swing looks like compared to the, what it looked like after you made the adjustment? Okay. So if you, uh, so linear basically being, if you were to take a tabletop, and literally just put your bat across it and you put and you did your entire swing. That's, that's how long my barrel was staying on that straight line, which would cause, you know, balls coming down at you at an angle. And if you have that very straight bat path coming across it, you will probably end up mishitting, clipping a lot of balls compared to if you take that same, tabletop and you put a slight dip underneath it in terms of my bat path coming to the ball to create the angle to barrel it more consistently that's kind of where I was at I was at a very straight swing plane and I needed a way to without trying to lift the ball just create that same direction except slightly underneath it so now when you're in the cage working, whether it's off-season or in-season, what are your goals when you're taking batting practice, like on, on rounds where you're not – the coaching staff isn't asking you to do anything in particular? Are you, um, are, you, are you looking for, you know, balls hit in a certain direction? Are you looking for uh, balls hit, you know, at certain, at certain launch angles, meaning, you know, you, you square a ball up, you want it to go, you know, in a certain place off the cage. Like what kind of external goals like that, if anything, do you have when you step in a cage? Yeah. So when I step in a cage, I, you know, have, have this visualization of the field and depending on, you know, what I'm working on, cause I still like to hit the the top, the higher back portion of the net. That's a that's a pure line drive with you know great backspin. You barreled it; it's flush. And then I also imagine the shortstop for away because I, I typically only work middle away in the cage because I feel like my body will react to the inside pitch on its own unless I'm getting jammed or you know something that doesn't quite feel right with the inside pitch then i'll work on it but past that it's a pure middle away approach and with the ball towards the shortstop i want to hit a absolute seed straight over his head towards the gap that's my goal you know balls that tend to stay up in the air a little too long especially opposite field end up being caught because they just have they don't have the same amount of push to it that a ball would when you pull it so it's uh it's, that's that's kind of my approach, and even on the field when we're not uh, working on something specific, I have a, a much easier visual of the field and of where the ball is going, of hitting that line drive over short, uh, creating my my bat angle, my bat pass, and staying inside the ball to do damage. And then when the when uh, when our BP thrower makes a mistake inside, I'm able to do some real damage and you know, put it off the wall or over it. This is something that you hear, you see debated from time to time, whether it's on social media or like when you're watching a game and you're listening to the commentators. Um, do you do you have to, to 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 be able to hit major league pitching today with, you know how how hard guys throw, how good secondary stuff is? 
do you have to sit on certain pitches? Um, are you able to, I, I guess, as a not not guessing, I think guessing is a little bit different than, than kind of sitting on a pitch or being prepared for certain pitches, but are you able to sort, sort of sit on some certain pitches and react, or are you, to have game success, do you have to, you know, do enough homework on this pitcher to have a pretty good idea of what he's going to throw and be prepared for certain uh, sit pitches or, or even sit on certain pitches? Like, how do you um, – can you kind of talk about that a little bit, whether you need to sit on things or whether you're always kind of looking for one thing and you're able to react to something different, kind of like you just said in the cages, you're you're looking for something to hit at the shortstop and you just react in. Is that basically what happens in a game as well? Or do you need to, if you're going to hit a fat, you know, 98 on your hands, you need to be ready for 98 on your hands. Or if you're going to hit a good, you know, right-handed slider that's coming, you know, down and into you, uh, or, or a left-handed slider that's going low and away to you, do you need to sit on those types of pitches? Uh, can you talk about that a, a little bit from this, just from your experience as a hitter? And it doesn't matter what other guys do, just but what, what you do specifically. Yeah, um, you know, I, I think I was able to keep it very simple for myself. If I had never faced a guy and he, you know, a majority of guys have a really good fastball, I'm going to be fastball and adjust. You know, I take it back to travel ball days, like, there's a lot of guys that you've never seen before, but you know one thing, they have a fastball. And so I will sit fastball and adjust to the off-speed at a tired bat. Now, the more I face a guy, the more I have an idea of what he, what he wants to throw me, the, the the more at-bats I have against him, especially if I have at-bats with you know, success behind it, there will be a moment where I can sit on a certain pitch in certain moments in certain counts. Like, but past that, I'm ready to hit the fastball every time i've wondered that myself because as a you know as a college coach that's what you teach and and but you'll hear guys that will say well you can't do that in the big leagues because guys throw too hard and their secondary stuff is too good but by my sort of retort to that is always you know like you're, you're always you're playing guys that are at your uh that are at your skill level right if you're a, if you're a if you're a division two player if you're a division two hitter you're facing division two pitchers you're like you're facing guys that are at your talent level if you're in the big leagues, like you're, you're a big league hitter for a reason because you can still handle that. So I just, I wondered if that stuff changed as you went up the ladder or if that's like you just said, basically the same approach that you had when you were in high school, college, travel ball, whatever. But it sounds like it was basically that, that part of it hasn't changed much. Yeah. They, there are some things that you just have to keep the same. That's how you've you know been able to create success your entire life is there's certain things that don't change. Now, as you mature as a player, as a hitter, things will kind of come to your head where it's like, okay, I've seen this. I've seen how he approaches other guys. If I get in this situation, I will sit this pitch for this moment, and then I can go back and revert back to my normal approach. And that's kind of what I felt like I picked up on as years progressed. It was, you know, if, if this guy had success doing this against me, how am I going to change to – combat that to make him come back to my approach instead of staying along with his. Because one thing's for sure, if they have success doing one thing, they're not going to change. That's what makes the bigs the bigs. They're not going to turn around and make a mistake because they wanted to mix things up. And so when you were talking earlier about the league adjusted to you and then you didn't do a great job adjusting back to the league, which is why uh, you had some struggles when when that starts happening, when the league starts to figure out what your strengths and weaknesses are and they start pitching a lot more to your weaknesses, do you in general, do you have to 
change and start looking for things that that maybe you don't do well and start and start trying to uh, focus on those things more. So so if I can just I don't know if this will make sense, or in, in maybe if I explain it a little bit better. But if you're if you're a guy that likes to hit fastballs, right, and you start seeing a lot of um, you know a lot of right-handed changeups, for example, that are going to go away from you, and maybe that's a weakness for you. For you to be able to 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 make an adjustment back to the league, right, and and this is they start getting you out with right-handed changeups as, as a left-handed only hitter. Uh, do you then have to get better at hitting changeups, or do you have to get better at laying off of changeups and hitting fastballs and fastball counts? Do you know what I mean? Like, do you do you go yeah. away from your strength of hitting a fastball in order to adjust to them, or do you do you just kind of even get a little bit more stringent of of, of sticking with what your strength is? Does that make sense? How I'm phrasing that? Yeah, yeah, I understand it. I think there's a little combination of both mixed in there, so it's very subtle. Um, so, like you said, let's say it was a righty changeup, and they kept getting me out on that. Now, I'd have to look at a few things. I'd have to look at where the pitch is actually located that I'm swinging at compared to um, if it's just the, the changeup itself. So it's like, okay, if, if I'm getting changeups, but they're on the the lower outer portion of the plate and they might be dotted and or off and I'm swinging at it, maybe it's not me swinging at it. Maybe it's – um, maybe it's not the pitch itself. Maybe it's the location that I'm swinging at. So maybe I need to adjust my eye a little bit and focus more on a certain spot uh, for everything. So if I'm able to zone, like shrink my zone just a little bit more, that way I'm still on the fastball. That way if I see a change about the hand that I usually would see as a good pitch to hit, but it's not, I might be able to lay off it a little bit more. And then when a change up does come that is within that zone, I'm able to do damage with because I see it more clearly. I've got to also ask you where the power came from. Um, I mean, you, you're you're not a very big guy. In 2015, the year you got drafted, you hit four home runs in college in 56 games. Uh, but then, you know, immediately your next year, 2016, your first full season uh, in the minor leagues, you hit 14 home runs. You went from metal bat to wood bat obviously you play more games um i don't know if anybody saw when you got drafted i don't know if anybody saw you as a 30 30 guy you know some team might have thought that you could have hit for the average that you've hit i'm sure teams saw you as a as a big league center fielder i'm sure they saw the the 30 stolen bases coming you know i i have a hard time believing that anybody that drafted you saw 30 home runs coming was that is that a result, Cedric, of of some swing changes? Is it a result of approach changes? Is it a result of you just getting stronger and and working your butt off in the weight room? Uh, can can you point to anything in particular that has kind of made this power come along for you when you know that that maybe wasn't necessarily a part of your game when you got drafted? Yeah, um, you know, I, I always first give credit to the man upstairs because you know I, I think he blessed me with the ability to put in the work to help provide that power. It was just a matter of me finding it uh, through you know, trial and error and you know working on how to get more out of my swing naturally. Uh, but I, I do feel like that I always had a certain amount of pop to my swing. And it, it was just a matter of, again, me continuing to get stronger, of course, uh, but at, at a certain point, it was me not missing my pitches. 
that I know I can do damage to. And I think it really started to come around, like you said, in that uh, low A season where, of course, I'm playing a lot more games, but you know, even with even with how you break down the number of games I played in the past and you, you know, multiply that by two, like I still wouldn't have reached the the 14 mark. And to kind of give more credit to just my left-handed swing in general, I think majority of the time my power came from my left-handed swing. And I'd have a, a, a few mixed in there on my right side. And for me to become a full-time left-handed hitter, I was going to potentially run into more home runs in general, uh, being that I was on my stronger side. I've got a couple of quick questions for you, Cedric, um, to kind of end things. And hopefully these are just some, some kind of quick answers and have a little bit of fun at the end here. When you first got called up to the big leagues, who, who did you, who did you tell, who did you get tickets to come out and see you in your debut? If anybody. Yeah. So when I, when I got the call, that this story is always funny because I just came off of having a stomach bug. So I literally didn't play for like three days because my stomach was torn to shreds basically. And, uh, when I came into the, I got called into the office and, uh, Ron Johnson, who was a triple A manager at the time, he said, Hey, how are you feeling? And I was like, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm ready to go. I shouldn't have been to play tomorrow. And he said, good. Cause you're going to the bigs. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I was like, uh, Three three days of not playing, and I'm going up to play in a big league game. It's like, oh, Jesus, three days felt like three weeks. <laughs> I, was like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to feel when I first step up in there. And uh, so I immediately called uh, my folks. And so uh, my mom, my dad, my brother were able to come out along with um, my hitting instructor, who I was working with since I was like 15. And sister wasn't able to make it she was doing her own thing and my grandma wasn't able to make it because she was just that nervous i was like okay you know she she didn't want to go simply because of her nerves i was like you're nervous okay that's uh (laughs) that's cool yeah so it was it was a great time and uh looking back on that day it was obviously a great day you know a fun moment to share with everybody i've talked to other guys who uh have said guys that have played in the big leagues who said they're much, much more nervous watching their kid play than they ever were playing. Um, what was the biggest wow moment for you or maybe your first wow moment in the big leagues when you got up there and you're like, holy cow, I'm here. Like, I'm sure there were guys that you played against that you idolized as a kid. Did you have, you have a moment like that that stands out to you? Yeah. Um, just being, cause growing up in Georgia, being a Braves fan, never really got to see too many guys in Baltimore in general, but I definitely knew of Adam Jones, definitely knew of Chris Davis. So when I was able to meet those guys, you know, even before my uh, call up, you know, that, that was definitely one of those wild moments for me. I think the biggest wild moment was that I was more nervous on defense than I was hitting. And that stuck with me because I was like, I feel like I have more eyes on me standing out in center field <laughs> than I do when I'm hitting, standing at the plate. And people were like, well, that's kind of weird. And I was like, well, if you think of it this way, if let's say my first at bat, I strike out. You know, it's not that big a deal. People strike out. It's a normal part of the game. 
but let's say you make an error out in center. This, uh, and you hear the, oh, like you hear a collective 50,000 people go, <laughs> oh, like I think that kind of sticks with you a little more. Ain't it on TV, so it's going to be brought back up at some point. So I, I think that was that was a fun moment for me to be like, wow, this is a, this is a crazy feeling. <laughs> How about uh, of, of the parks that you've visited so far besides Camden, which, which has been your favorite MLB park to visit? Oh, man, I feel like all of them have um, – something about them that just really stands out. It's something about the lights. It just makes the colors really pop. Uh, I know the first time I went out to Seattle, that was, I guess the first and only time at this point, that was uh, a really nice stadium. No, sorry, I've been there twice. Really nice stadium. Loved it. I like the dome concept of it where it's still outside, but you can just kind of pull, like an umbrella. You can just kind of pull it back when it's nice and then you can kind of pull it over when it's raining and you can still get the ball ball game going. Uh, of course, in my own division, Fenway is a beautiful park. Yankee Stadium is a beautiful park. As nice as those ballparks are, it feels like the people are like standing right on top of you when you're out there. Really? So it makes it feel a little smaller, but there's still amazing parks that have great energy out there. Who's the pitcher that you'll be okay if you don't see him again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got my list, but I know I'm going to see him again. So that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's not the issue. But, yeah, so uh, I think it's just more of a comfort level. Like, it's not that I and that I don't have the ability to hit him. They just, for some reason, have a way of making you uncomfortable in the box. And, of course, like the Chris Sales of the world who, you know, throw at a three-quarter almost submarine angle and he's stepping towards me throwing 97 i'm like okay man (laughs) this is a little too much for my eyes to handle right now like i just want to make sure that you get this thing on the plate which of course he does like he's doing it for a long time now but uh past that yeah there ain't there aren't too many guys that i'm just like i'd be happy if i never faced it (laughs) must be nice must be nice to be that good um, I, you've had a lot of things, a lot of really cool things happen to you already in your young career, including starting the all-star game in center field. Um, can you give me the coolest moment that you have experienced so far as a big leaguer? If you can, if you can pick one moment. Yeah. So, you know, most people would think that it's the all-star game. Most people would think it was the, the home run robbery at the end of the year, which was awesome. But the the moment that sticks out to me the most was the the t-shirt night that I had. So it was um, it was a night where they were handing out free t-shirts with Mullins on the back. And I was like, you know, this is crazy. This is awesome. You know, I can't wait for people to come out. We're gonna have a great game. Little did I know that I ended up hitting two home runs that night and getting my first uh, first curtain call. And I was like, wow. So that's what that feels like looks like. That's that's pretty crazy because if like they they chant your name, you know I'm I'm I've never been one to you know do the hoorah all that, but going out there and it felt like I was out there for 30 seconds and I looked at the video and it was five. So it was just a moment that I was really able to slow down and take all in. But it was, I think that's my number one. That's amazing. Last question for you, Cedric. 
you you guys, the Baltimore Orioles organization has a lot of a lot of dudes coming up. They got some really good name guys coming up. When do the Orioles make the playoffs? Uh, I'll put you on the spot there. It's, it's not a tough one to answer, but it's a tough one to answer because I feel like there's going to be um, some camaraderie that needs to happen uh, along with the guys that are coming up. Uh, we got to continue to build each other's confidence to go out there and compete every single day, and we got to maintain that for an entire season. We had moments even this year where it was like, this is us. This is us at our best. We need to be able to stick with that. And it would turn right around and we'd have, you know, a, a seven-plus game losing streak. And a lot of games would be close, but it was just those losses kept pounding away at us. And I think our confidence as a whole continued to falter because of it. So I do think that, you know, some guys, including myself, stepping up and uh, taking that leadership role to to build a winning mindset, a and I know we have a winning mindset now, but to, to really stick it and have that approach every single night when we go out there, like that nothing is going to beat us. And when we have the lead, we're going to keep it. So just continuing to have that mindset and pursue, pursuing greatness, I think we're closer than most people think. This is Cedric Mullins, everybody, an all-star center fielder, the all-star center fielder for the Baltimore Orioles and someone who uh, I'm so glad to reconnect with. Cedric, I certainly appreciate your time today. Um, thank you so much. I know you're, you're a busy guy this offseason. You have a lot of people asking you to go a lot of different directions, but you taking the time to be on this podcast is a, is a huge compliment to me and this the Figured Out Baseball website. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Jeff. Really appreciate it.